All right, welcome to The Jig Is Up. My name is Darcy, and joining me tonight is the ever-popular Jason. Hey, buddy, how's it going? Good. How's the man with the biggest beard in Calgary? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. I, I, I don't know if I can officially lay claim to that, but I, I like your, where you're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> gotta have goals. Gotta have goals. Yes, although I have been getting a lot of face-touching lately from strangers, and that really does not please me, so... Uh, <laughs> Boundaries, people. Boundaries. Yeah, the, the beard is not public domain. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's yeah, it kind of grosses me out to be honest with you. But uh, and it hurts people pulling on beard hair. I don't know why they think that it doesn't hurt your face, but uh, it does. There you go. So so stop it, people. Boundaries. Um. So how's things going? How's life in the white court these days? Uh, good. Uh, the, other than this huge smoke blew in from the north today and blocked out the sun. Yeah. It was a, a bit uh, choky, so we, lots of sinus and forest fires from the north, so we'll be uh, hoping those guys uh, make out okay and stay safe. Yeah, absolutely. It, it was, uh, we had a guest from Nunavut last week, and we were out in Banff, and it was really smoky and hazy out there, too, so it was uh, not the greatest view of the mountains, but... You know, I mean, that's really the minor, most minor of inconveniences when you're thinking about all those forest fires that are raging. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So so I wanted to kind of kick off the show today. Uh, I got a really, uh, well, what I thought was a, a, just a stupid message in my Facebook Messenger a couple of days ago, and I wanted to do a little bit of a rant on that, and then we'll kick off into actually discussing Métis, uh, Métis the latest Métis news and issues. Um, so... To everybody listening, I'm going to say that I'm no fan of Daryl LaRue. Uh, I think he's he's not a he's a deplorable person, uh, and I think it's bad that anybody accepts his opinion on Métis identity when he cons- doesn't consider himself to be Métis. And uh, why that people allow that to happen, I don't know. Uh, to me, he's an extremely colonized mind, and is kind of a good example of uh, how to disrespect Métis elders and knowledge keepers because he completely disregards what they have to say, because he knows best. Now, having said that, I have no, you know, I have no problem people being critical with his work or anything, but having said all of that, I have to draw the line when people start sending transphobic and, and messages around Facebook Messenger. Uh, so there's a picture of Daryl LaRue, apparently dressed as a woman, and it may have been a Halloween party, a costume party, or... Perhaps he does dress as a woman because uh, he enjoys it. Honestly, I don't give a shit. Um, but what bothers me is that this is being shared to ridicule him for dressing as a woman. Um, and at least for myself, I want to be very clear to everybody that uh, transphobic, homophobic messages, comments, attitudes are not okay. It's not acceptable. As people who have faced genocide and oppression, as Métis people have... It's extremely disappointing to me that we would perpetuate these negative attitudes towards our LGBTQ2 plus community. Um, so to everybody out there, if you see these messages, be better than this. If you feel like sharing this transphobic bullshit, uh, don't. And if you do see it, if somebody shares it with you, please just message them back and tell them that's not acceptable. Because this this stuff needs to end. It's not acceptable. You want to go after his policies or his research or... You know, whatever, his work, his public statements, have at her. It's open season on that. But this is not, this is the most ridiculous and and demeaning thing to to attack him on. 
and I think we can be better than that. So that's my two-minute rant on that. And I think that's a good point to make is that, you know, we have a lot of issues facing Métis people and Métis politics and reducing things down to what a person is wearing for whatever reason they choose to wear it is really a, just a distraction. And I think it really, if that's what we're going to have main conversations about of all the things that we Métis should be talking about and we focus on that, that's probably part of the problem. Absolutely. And I mean, what does this tell our own Métis LGBTQ2 plus community? What does it say to them? I mean, if, if, if I know Métis that are that identify as, you know, as gay or, or trans, what are you saying to them? That it's, it's a negative to be who they are? So let's wake up and, and be a little, you know, put a little thought into what you're doing in a day. These things aren't funny. They're actually, to the people who would see these things, they can be quite hurtful. And I, I think it's just a, a real lowbrow way to attack somebody. Um, it's no different than attacking somebody because they're woman. It's no different than attacking somebody because they wore a certain type of hat. It's ridiculous and it needs to end. And it just perpetuates like negative attitudes towards our own LGBTQ2 plus uh, community within the Métis community. So just stop. That's all I got to say. Um, so now that I've got that off my chest, that's been debugging me for a couple of days now. Uh, the Alberta courts upheld that the Métis Nation of Alberta Association is not a government. And I don't know if you had a chance to read this whole article, Jason, but uh, or the whole judgment. Not, not the whole thing, but boy, wow, did I ever have to sit down when I got to that part. Ooh, what a shocker. <laughs> now, this is a judgment that came out of a... De- it's a decision that came out of the Alberta courts in a case, uh, McCarger versus the Métis Nation of Alberta Association. And it, this decision actually didn't really make any of these statements. It actually used previous court cases to reiterate these statements. Um, so it's not like it's really breaking news, but I think because it's a new decision and it re- reinforced these um, the legality of what the Métis Nation of Alberta Association really is, I think it was kind of interesting. Um, and I'm just, I got a couple quotes here. So one of them, I got a bunch of quotes here, but uh, the first one is, The association is a voluntary society. Its powers come largely from the consent and implied contract. No one is forced to join the association, nor does Alberta legislation require membership in the association to join a Métis settlement or to obtain land allocation. The association is not a Métis settlement, does not operate as a Métis settlement. One can resign from the association, still be Métis, and still have or get many of the benefits of being Métis. So I, I thought we'd kind of go through these statements one by one. So what do you think, like, I mean, what are your thoughts on just that statement alone? Well, like you said earlier, that that uh, isn't anything new for us. We pretty much said that all the way along. Yeah. That these, you know, that the, the MNA is a society formed under the Societies Act. It's not and never can be a form of government in in the term of what that definition means, government. You know, so that wasn't really a shocker to me. And I think it's really good to hear, and I hope people, it resonates with them, that the membership in these organizations is voluntary. They don't confer identity. They don't remove identity. They have no sway or standing to hold that over a person. And so 
it's the person that has the power, not the organization. Absolutely. And it actually, that statement reminded me, uh, if we go back in time a little bit to when uh, the Alberta Fish and Wildlife went in and stole a bunch of fish from Conklin, um, we went up there and took some video of the minister when he went a few days, a week later or something like that to apologize and brought a bunch of fish. And I remember being there and listening to the minister argue with a Métis Nation of Alberta Association representative about, because they were claiming that you can only get hunting Métis hunting and harvesting rights if you're in the MNA. And he very clearly said about four times that the Alberta government cannot force people to join the MNA and there could be people that get harvesting rights that are not members. Um, because they have no no ability to enforce that. That's not that's not something they can enforce. And she was adamant that that's not true. And I remember them going back and forth. And I thought, even then, I thought, wow, she's arguing with the minister, like as if he doesn't know the the laws. But um, so I think this is that kind of upholds his argument that you can still be a harvester, Métis harvester, and not be part of the MNA. So it... Yeah, and exactly, and I think that's what it really boils down to is that these organizations are voluntary and they don't have any balance of power over Métis people exercising their um, Indigenous rights. Absolutely, and, and I think it was it's really interesting to hear them say yeah. that you can resign from the association and still be Métis and still maintain your, you know, the benefits of being Métis, or the, they say benefits, but really it should be the rights of being Métis. So, I mean, if you are a Métis harvester now and you have an M&A card, if you were to resign, that you still can be a harvester. Uh, you can still mm-hmm. exercise your rights. So I think that's an important thing to for people to hear. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's very imperative for people to keep in mind and to... And hopefully, you know, now that you hear the minister say it from the government side and you hear the course come out and reiterate it, that it starts to resonate with people that it's the rights are our Métis rights held by the collective people. They are not held in trust for us by these organizations. Absolutely. And I think um, the I, I, I'm if I read and understand what he's saying, one of the people running for president of the MNA right now, Ron Quintal, um, has actually said that where he he wants to bring these negotiating rights and and rights like this to the community level where he believes they should be and and I I believe that's where they should be. I think the community should have the right to decide who is part of their community and who's not not some ambiguous person who may or may not be Métis working in the Edmonton office. Um and so I I think this is a good step for that. Well, and that's, yeah, and I think having the court, like I said before, come out and say that um, hopefully makes it fresh in people's minds again that that's where the true power really lies is with the the individual and the community, not with the society. Absolutely, yeah. Now, the next one that I thought was really interesting was, and I think this is kind of the the main one that everybody's kind of going on about, uh, the decision said, although the association styles itself as the Métis Nation of Alberta Association, it is a society, not a nation or a nation of Alberta. The Court of Appeal said in a previous ruling, it is true that much of the terminology of the association's bylaws is redolent of s- sovereign government, but just saying that does not make it so. It is not at present time governmental, 
nor sovereign, and neither the Societies Act nor any other act of Alberta purports to grant it such powers. And for me, this was a huge, like, almost a laughable moment because we've been saying this uh, for, well, this is, I think, episode 69. We've been saying this for 69 episodes now. <laughs> that these guys are, are, a, are a society. They're not a government. Yeah, that was, I. you know, I just about laughed out loud when I read that. Um, I can't even tell you how many of the shows we've talked about that that hasn't come up. Right. Or we haven't been asked, or somebody hasn't messaged us, or posted on one of our social media platforms, you know. And, yeah. you know, I don't know if people think we're crazy or out to lunch or we're extremists or what, but there's the, the you know, for me, that's the real proof in the pudding. The, the government recognizes that the Métis Nation of Alberta is no such thing. It's the Métis Nation of Alberta as a name registered yes. under the Societies Act. Exactly, exactly. I mean, realistically, I, you could go register a society right now, call it the con- country of Jason, and you'd probably get it passed. Um, it doesn't mean you're a you're, you're separate country, you're a sovereign nation country. Um, no, I could form a society. I could uh, be the president. It could be for the sole purpose of the betterment of the land I own, and uh, we could be on a board together. And uh, you know, you could be the defense minister of our ten acres. And uh, you know, but that doesn't mean we have a country exactly. or a government. Exactly. You know that. Yeah. So it's again quite laughable. Well, and, and what I so you see it in in print from the the government's own own court system, you know, you know, talk about validity to our discussion. Absolutely, and I mean, you've said this many times on this podcast, where you know you've you mentioned that the Canadian government is not going to give up sovereign control and and see anybody as equals on this land. Um, so to think that they're going to give up sovereign control and and recognize the Métis Nation of Alberta as equal to the government of Alberta or equal to the Canadian government uh, with equal powers and equal and equal authority is is completely ridiculous and, and those are statements you've made many times and I think this totally supports that yeah and for me that you know when I read that I just about laughed out loud like I said because it means like you know you've been saying it for how many years now that's exactly the truth of the matter you know the proof is in the pudding we've said it before because we we know about the Societies Act and the legalities of these things and you know Shazam there you have it in black and white from the the Queen's press you know Absolutely. So don't 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 take my word for it. You know the crazy ramblings of Jason living in the woods. You know there you go. You have you have the the government's own court telling you the truth. Absolutely. And then this you know it goes into everything that we've talked about. They call themselves their their members citizens. Well, that's great, but that doesn't mean you're like to the Canadian government. You're still a Canadian citizen. That's the bottom line. Uh, it, they want. They're talking about making a constitution for what? A constitution for a society, because you're you're not a sovereign nation. You're not going to be. It's it's a, it's not a realistic goal to think that the Alberta government or Canadian government is going to give you sovereign control, um, and especially being registered under the Societies Act. There's just no way for that to happen. There's no mechanism for that. 
Yeah, and, and I think that's what the statement really made clear is that while the MNA uses the language of an organization that has some kind of sovereign power or some kind of governmental power, um, it uses the language, then in actuality, have no ability to truly exercise it. Absolutely. And then there was another quote in there that goes, it's, you know, exactly what we're saying here. And they said in the decision, it is inappropriate for such an organization to announce to the world at large that its members are clothed with constitutional rights. Doing so constitutes an attempt to usurp the role of the courts on a fundamental issue affecting all Canadians, including those with legitimate Aboriginal claims. Uh, so, I mean, that, <laughs> what, what more do you need to hear from the, the Canadian colonized society to, to tell you that they are not giving you control? Well, not only that, how many times have we talked about that that, uh, you know, how many times have we talked about the MA using that word usurped? Yeah. And taking the power away from communities, taking away from uh, individuals, trying to fight with the settlements in its top down struggle for administrative control. And the government clearly came out and sided with us in recognizing that's exactly what they're doing. And they have no leg to stand on in, in foisting itself as that kind of an organization. Absolutely, and I mean, when you, I want people to really understand when when the MNA talks about doing a constitution and having a constitution. Ask yourself, what does that really mean? Like, is are so they're going their constitution that this nonprofit society is that is going to create is that going to overrule the Canadian constitution? Well, if that's the case, then you lose all your constitutional protections under the Canadian constitution. So there is no more section 9124. 90, There's no more section 35 for you. And is that mm-hmm. really what people think this is going to be like uh you you think it, that this is going to be a constitution that that overrules, you know, the charter of rights and freedoms. Like come on. It's a non-profit society calling a document a constitution, which is just a fancy new way of saying bylaws. <laughs> That's all it is. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I, I don't understand how how people could get sucked in by that kind of language. I mean, the, the truth of anything like that would be is if the MNA is truly a government, they have their own constitution, and Métis people fall under the jurisdiction of that constitution, then I uh, encourage every one of the people who think that we're wrong to simply stop giving the government your taxes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And and where is the land base for this so-called nation? Where where are you going to live? Are you going to live on Canadian soil? Are you, are you going to live on Métis Nation of Alberta Association soil? Well, yeah, as an independent sovereign nation, yep, you should be. Yeah. Uh, are you going to make your own passports? Are you going to pay, like you said, pay your own taxes? Are you going to have your own police and military? Like... Making a constitution for a society is, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I guess it makes people feel better that you're doing something as an organization, but the truth is, is the Canadian constitution rules over everything at this point in time. So unless you have some sort of like blackmail material on every Supreme Court justice, every prime minister and future prime minister there is, I just don't see that changing. Um... Well, and clearly look at the, what the ruling was, neither does the government. They 
the the government doesn't seem to be under any illusions that the society is using a language that's inflammatory and that's misleading and uh, they have no qualms in saying that you know they they don't have any jurisdiction exactly and and, and i mean it's it's almost a warning i think when they say that doing so constitutes an attempt to usurp the role of the courts on issues such as legitimate aboriginal claims so i i don't know man i i think it's great to use these big terms like uh, citizen and nation and constitution but at the end of the day you pay your taxes to the canadian government at the end of the day you drive on canadian roads at the end of the day you use alberta health and at the end of the day you you abide by the constitution of canada and the charter of rights and freedoms so <laughs> that's that's what it is folks yeah and there's no no amount of uh, no amount of language no amount of plastic no amount of bylaws is going to change that fact absolutely absolutely and then uh, another couple, last couple quotes I had on that was uh, they said, such an association represents its members rather than the Métis community as a whole. And, uh, and then um, in sum, it represents the registered members on the terms and for purposes set out in their own bylaws. So essentially what that really meant, uh, if you read the decision, was that, um, and I think they even might have said this in there, that the Métis Nation of Alberta, uh, at least when this... Uh, court action started had about 32,000 members just a little over 32,000 members which is a little lower than what they've been telling everybody Um, but at the time there was almost 100,000 Métis in the province and this made it very clear that they do not represent all Métis in Alberta they represent their members, their private um, you know membership members not all Métis. So they don't represent all Métis in Alberta. So when they say, we we represent 100,000 Métis in Alberta. No, you don't. You represent your 32,000. The courts have ruled on that twice now. So you're talking out your ass. Well, I think what's important that I took away from that message is to understand that the government of Alberta in this ruling recognizes that the MNA does not represent all Métis and there are Métis people outside of the MA who are truly Métis. Yes. And that really goes against the narrative that if you're not holding an MA card, then you're not really Métis. Absolutely. And I, I think it destroys this this notion even within the governments that if you're not Pauli, you're not Métis, because clearly you can be Métis. Um, you don't necessarily have to exercise Section 35 rights to do so. Um you know, so I think this really laid out very clearly uh, some of the things that the, the way the government and the courts perceive things and the way it really truly is. Uh, and I think, you know, I think Audrey and, you know, the whole cartel management that's there now is really trying to pull the wool over people's eyes. I think they're they're trying to make people think they're something they're not. Well, and that's what some of the language that the court really used was very straightforward and I thought very clear on recognizing that the MA's language is directed only at its own membership and at that point is in a lot of contexts misleading and causes misinformation. And so any they like you said, when they've been so far as to say they they could be in challenge of usurping the authority of the the court system. Yeah. 
Uh, another interesting note on there is uh, they said uh, the they said in there that if the if the association doesn't follow their own bylaws, uh, the courts found in this case specifically that there was no indication of a contract between the members and the association. So as a result, there's really no private law remedy available. So unless there's a like a land issue or a criminal issue, um, like you know if there's fraud going on or whatever with the books, that's one thing. But um, you know if they violate their bylaws, well, there's really no private court action to do to to take. Uh, you can't sue mm-hmm. the MNA for via for not ha- for disbanding the Métis Gen. What is that Judiciary Council that they disbanded? Yeah, you can't sue them for that. And I, I wanted you know this to me was very interesting because ever there's a lot of people upset with that that they didn't replace uh, the vice president when he resigned. They got rid of the Métis judiciary they had. And the bottom line is, well, do you think the MNA lawyers probably knew that these were not enforceable in private law? Like, I am positive, and I'm not even trying to be a conspiracy theorist, but I guarantee you they got legal counsel on these before they did these things. And the lawyers probably told them, look, you, you can't be sued. The courts can't really rule on it. So it's a private club that you can kind of do what you want <laughs> unless you actually violate criminal or or uh, you know private law, which is like civil law or land and stuff like that. But they they don't just by violating bylaws. So I think that's really important for people to understand as well, um, that there really is no remedy. You know, they can violate their bylaws and it's all good. Yeah, and that's the problem when you have an organization uh, that is unaccountable to its membership is that when the leadership decides to go astray and act outside the parameters of its own set bylaws without active membership engagement, you know, this is where things run amok. And I think that's really the problem is that we've, it took a court case to bring this to light only to show you that the courts don't have jurisdiction over this kind of an issue and it should be up to the membership. And how many times have you and I talked over the, the numbers episodes that, that we need to have active membership engagement? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and I, I think, uh, you know, for the people that are upset, I think they really need to pay attention to these kinds of things. If you're in that organization and you don't like some of the things they're doing. These are the loopholes that are created by having a registered society. And this is where people that are running these organizations right now are absolutely using to their advantage the fact that they can hide behind being a society when it's convenient. They can run around and tell everybody they're a government with citizens when it's convenient. But they can basically dodge the laws. I mean... Do human rights, you know, does the Human Rights Tribunal even have jurisdiction over these guys if they're a private, you know, non-profit society? I, I don't know. So it's like there's a lot of protections by being a private corporation that they hide behind when it's convenient. And I've said that many times before, and I think this court case is, is illustrating exactly that. Yep, Absolutely. Unaccountable. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's where, I mean, you you're, you have to put in checks and balances somehow. And uh, when I, you know, when I hear people talking about how these are, they're going to elections and it's, uh, you know, government and stuff, it, it just isn't. It isn't. 
They, they don't operate like any government out there. So it, the courts say they're not a government. They don't operate like a government. Their structure isn't like a government. They don't allow dissenting voices like good governments do. I mean, how many more signs do we need to point to the road that says they're not government? Yeah, and when the court comes right over and tells you point blank, you know, <laughs> if you if you were if there was any doubt or any shady or you thought we were crazy, you yeah. know, don't listen to us. Listen, listen to the government. Yeah, listen to the Alberta Court of Queens Bench. Now, let's talk about an article on CBC uh, about the indigenous population in Alberta outpacing the non-indigenous population. And I don't usually read these articles when they have a certain person in them. And I, I never thought I would say this person's name on the podcast, but I'm going to. I'm going to break my own my own rule, and it's come to that now. We're that many episodes <laughs> in. So this article comes out on the CBC, um, and they they say in the article they start off by saying this this huge massive population growth in the indigenous population they believe is in, due at least in part to more people self identifying. And now we got to keep in mind, this wasn't Métis specific. This was all Indigenous in Alberta. Métis, Inuit, uh, First Nations, status, non-status, didn't matter. Indigenous people. Uh, Based on, of course, the last Statistics Canada release that uh, the Métis Red River Nationalists just went bonkers over. And in the article, none other than the Dean of Indigenous Studies at the University of Alberta, Chris Anderson, who, and I always thought he shall remain nameless, but Chris Anderson, is noted in the article as saying that some self-reported Indigenous people don't necessarily have official status under the Indian Act. He further goes on to point out that some of these people are the first in their families in one to two or more generations to self-identify or claim Indigenous um, identity. He also reminds everyone that East Coast organizations uh, are only doing it for benefits and are trying to scam to get free gas or cheap gas. Uh, He said he isn't opposed to the self-identification, but notes that not everyone who self-identifies does so with the best of intentions. Now, we've talked about all of this stuff before, but I I don't know. The first thing I would like to say about this is when he says... Uh, that some self-reported Indigenous people don't necessarily have official status under the Indian Act. I did not know you needed to have official status under the Indian Act to claim to be Indigenous. Um, I didn't. I didn't know that was the rule now, um, or I guess to claim to be First Nation because that's what it applies to. And I, I just hate that. Yeah. It, it shows well, how colonized he is. The other point is, is he is no dummy, and if you're not informed on the situation. That sounds good, and if you just leave it at that, the the sound bite that it is, you walk away nodding your head in agreement. But if you think about it for a moment, that's the real problem. Even if it's only talking about um, our First Nations relations, they have a huge fight on their hands already about blood quotient and people being disenrolled mm-hmm. from recognition under the Indian Act, and so to say that someone who is now claiming indigenous identity isn't federally recognized and therefore isn't valid. When you really peel that back a bit, that is a very misleading, misinformed statement. Yeah. And and it paints anybody who self-identifies who doesn't meet the 
Indian Act or the Métis National Council's definitions or these colonial definitions of who Indigenous people are, it kind of paints them all in the light that they're all trying to gain some benefit and gain the system. Um, And that's what I think... Well, it also creates... But it creates a feeling, too, though, that within the the three broad groups of Indigenous people in Canada, that every one of us has some level of federal recognition um, that we can achieve, which is not true. There is no pen uh bar that you have to meet across canada for being Métis. yes and so to make a broad statement that the government's recognition of an indigenous identity is what confers it to you and then you want to put Métis people in that category is very misleading absolutely and and the fact that he uses the language of self-reported indigenous people i mean let's be very clear the indian act does not apply to Inuit people. It, it even specifically says that in there. And it does not apply to Métis people. It applies to First Nations people, and that's it. So he's saying Indigenous people don't have official status under the Indian Act, but really and truly that should say self-reported First Nations people. And, I mean, there's a lot of people that are full-blooded First Nation who do not have an Indian Act imposed status card uh, through various... Through genocide, let's just be honest. I mean, there's sexism, there's there's enfranchisement, there's forced exit out of the out of enrollment, um, there's banned and council corruption in some places. Like that is to to the average layperson, that sounds really good, like you said, Jason. But to anybody with that has any knowledge of this stuff, that's an incredibly ignorant comment to make. Um, and the fact that he's dean of Indigenous Studies, eesh, that makes me. That doesn't make me feel comfortable with the, what he's teaching people. Well, I, and I think that's what, you know, there's a good reason that in, in our many episodes we've skirted the whole U of A faculty is because they hold that huge bias. He's no slouch. He's an academic. He knows where he stands. And he's purposely, I believe, using language to misinform. And that misinformation campaign is a smear campaign. Yes. And we see that smear campaign because you can't even make it through the whole article about Indigenous identity here in Alberta without trying to confabulate that with something from the East. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think that that's a real problem. And he really begins to show a bias in the article because he can't make Alberta's numbers track without that that out-of-context reference. Yes. Yeah, and I and I think for him too, because let's be truthful, he he does make money off of being an author, um, and I think for him making comments like this and kind of riling people up gets him some good press and maybe sells another book or two, and so it is. There's probably many motivations here, and whether he wants to admit them or not, I think one of them is for self-aggrandization and his own ego, and selling a few more books. Um, but I want to contrast that now with the other person that they talked to in the article, um, a man by the name of Del Anderson, who I believe is First Nation. Shout out to Del. Right on, man. <laughs> hey, buddy. How's it going? Uh, now, he's program co- coordinator and cultural advisor at the Canadian Native Friendship Center in Edmonton. And these were his comments about it. Fall, and I'm quoting him here. Following the residential school apology and now the 60s scoop apology... What we are finding is a lot of people are coming from foster care, 
They're finding that they have Aboriginal roots and history. Noting that a significant number of people have come from come to hit the Friendship Centre seeking knowledge about their ancestry. He goes on to say that the growth in self-identified population is a positive thing, as people are becoming more educated about Indigenous history and culture. So, to me, what was glaringly obvious is you have this, you know, most respectable dean of Indigenous studies with a PhD, and you know, I'm sure he reads a lot of books about being Indigenous and Métis, um, he's, you know, just the most authoritative person on everything that to do with Indigenous because he's the dean. And everything he said was how negative it was. This is not a good thing. It can't be a good thing. There's scammers out there, people looking for to ways to, to gain, get benefits. And then you contrast that with the First Nation guy who says, no, it's, this is a great thing. People are learning about their history, about their people, about who they are. And... You know, he made very, what I think are very logical and probably much more realistic comments about how people are coming out of foster care. Uh, he didn't mention it, but I would think adoptions and things like that that are starting to connect with who they, who they are. Um, and I thought the contrast between those was absolutely glaringly obvious. And it really shows the, the different level of connectivity to real people on the ground and real communities here you have a dean who sits in the university for the majority of his uh, life you know fairly insulated from other than what is probably his own home community if he manages to make it there on summer break <laughs> compared with someone who who's like Dell, who's working with first-hand experience of people coming in you know who is that first generation self-identifying indigenous person and and Dell's the kind of person who's going to be on the front line of that who's going to hear that person's story firsthand yeah. as they're using, using that facility and that venue to try to find that connection and, and paddle that river for the first time. Absolutely. And, and I think you're absolutely dead on there. I think it's, it is the difference between working with people and sitting in an ivory tower reading books about being Indigenous. Um, I, I, I have no doubt that that is a major difference on the attitudes of these two people. Um, so I just, I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and then I, I kind of wanted to look at the actual numbers from the census for what this population that they're talking about is. So the mass explosion. Yeah. So we had all that fear mongering about the Métis explosion and the cartel went nuts and Chris Anderson went nuts and Mr. LaRue went nuts and Red River Nationalists went nuts and all this. They just went nuts over these numbers for Métis people. But here in Alberta, which is what the article was about, despite Chris's dalliance into, you know, saying what he said about the East Coast people. Uh, the First Nation population grew by 39.6% in Alberta um, between the years of the... St I think it was 2006 and 2016, I think was this, the census. Métis only grew by 34.1%, and the Inuit saw growth of 55.6%. So, like... Uh, you know, what are we really talking about here? I mean, I thought it was, I think it's interesting that people went crazy over these Métis growth, but in Alberta, they were the lowest growth rate out of all three Indigenous groups. Um, mm -hmm. And the, yep. what's interesting again is, I do not hear a lot of First Nations in Alberta decrying these self-identifying posers as, you know, pretendians and disgusting people trying to get benefits. 
Um, I don't hear the Inuit in Alberta saying the same thing either. In fact, I hear them saying this is these. That's great. These are awesome things. Good times. Good times for Indigenous people. <laughs> I mean, in relative to, to the to the birth rates and and increasing their their population. But I mean, where's the negativity? Yeah, you don't. You do not see any publication or uh, from First Nations. There's no chief and council. There's no memos going out. You know, bemoaning all these, you know, fake wannabe headdress wearing whack jobs who are trying to come out to powwow and pretend they're the chief. There, there, there just isn't any. There's, there's mums the word. And really, you know, if Métis people are lagging behind, I mean, let's face facts, they're lagging behind in the self-indigenizing category. So, yeah, you know, what are we, you know, if we're going to flip it right over, the real question is what are Métis people doing wrong that we can't get as many fake Indians as our <laughs> fake Métis people as the Indians then? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, and that's just it. And, uh, you know, we talked about this on a, a podcast a long time ago when the census first came out, and these were points that you made of what, where's the negativity from the other groups about the, their growth rates. And it just doesn't exist. And I I think, it, you know, I mean, we kind of hypothesized reasons why but in previous episodes, but, I mean, a lot of it has to do with having a land base, Um and, and maybe having some security there. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's just interesting how you don't get that negativity elsewhere. Um, and then, you know, when you talk to people about people who do self-identify, it's it's only people, Métis people like Chris Anderson, who think this is a terrible thing. we got to protect our little Métis people, and, and God forbid we should grow beyond what my my colonized mind can think. Um and it's kind of a sad thing, well, really. Yeah, because I don't. The the big challenge I see is there's no First Nations community or Inuit people coming out and feeling threatened by this. Their identity is not threatened. Their communities aren't threatened. When you know their their traditions, their you know whatever it is, they don't feel they're not quaking in their boots about this. And yet, in the Métis circles, this this is like a, a five flame fire bell alarm going on here and we're you know running like chicken little in the sky is falling that we'll no longer know who a real metis person is now right and i really wonder what's the real source then are we so insecure about our identity our customs our traditions or our history that that if people for whatever reason were fake that that somehow would be threatening to us when it's not threatening to any other group i, I just don't get it Absolutely, and and you know, I mean, going back to that court case, it's it's been very clear that you don't have to join the Métis Nation of Alberta to still be Métis. I am not a member of the Métis Nation of Alberta, nor should I want to be, even if I qualified. Um, and I know I know a lot of uh, several people who have said that they they did qualify, but they've they don't want to. They don't want to be part of that. And the funny thing is, is I don't, you know, for me, I don't want benefits. I don't want to steal somebody else's identity. I just want to be me. Um, now, if that means I'm going to go to a, a Métis event and show up, I, I don't see why that's a problem. Um, and so this whole notion that everybody's out to get these benefits, yes, there are scammers. We've gone over that many times before, too. But the truth is, is I mean, there is a lot of Métis people out there who just want to have a community around them. They want to connect with culture. They want to teach their kids what they didn't get taught. Um, and 
Truth be told, there's a lot of these Red River nationalists that don't listen to their own elders. Um, you know, so they they go with what books say, or they go with what uh, you know the Daryl Larue says. Well, Daryl Larue's not Métis, so why are you listening to him? How about you take the time out, go sit with an elder, and, and learn your own culture? But uh, yeah, it's it's too bad. Um, but I did find those numbers interesting uh, as far as the population growth in Alberta that Métis are trailing behind quite significantly too so yeah and that was well, that was one of the very interesting facts that i think people don't touch on when it comes to this conversation of Métis enfranchisement by what if you use the settler society is that of the three groups in alberta specifically that Métis people are behind on that and the reality is is that it should only indicate that with any luck we are reclaiming our people our people are finding their way home, and instead of bemoaning the fact or making out-of-context correlations to Métis people in other parts of the country, that we should be embracing these people in our communities to find out their stories, to learn where they come from and what's gone on, that they are only recently coming to grips with, with this Indigenous identity that they carry. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, so, I guess... Yeah, that's all I got on that. Um, I think we'll end it on that. You, you, you always have the best way to end it, Jace. You always say the best thing. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have no idea where to go with that, do you? No, I don't know. Yeah, what do you do with that? <laughs> so I know that you can, are not making it to our event on August 13th, but uh, I just wanted to remind everybody that there is an event on August 13th um, at the... Uh, uh, Calgary Forest Lawn Public Library in the downstairs uh, media or meeting room. Uh, and it's going to be a conversation with Joe Pimlot, who is a candidate for president of MA Region 3. And, uh, you know, come out and hear what Joe has to say and be aware that every other candidate refuses to show up and answer questions from their members, or I'm sorry, from their citizen, fellow citizens of the Metis Nation government pro- pro- procedure process. I don't know. Um, so it is going to be a good conversation with Joe. I like Joe. He's a good guy. He's a very nice person. So come out, meet him, have some coffee. I think he even, might even bring some light snacks, not to put any pressure on Joe, but there you go, Joe. You have to bring some light snacks now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just wanted to let everybody else know uh, a couple other little events here. If you are in Calgary on August 20th and you want to talk about the TRC Calls to Action on Child Welfare, then check out uh, Chapters and Chat Indigenous Book Club at the... Again, at the Forest Lawn Public Library at 6.30 on August 20th. Uh, That is a monthly book club that you can be part of. And even if you haven't read the book or you haven't read the calls to action, you are more than welcome to come, have a coffee, listen to what people say, and learn. So if you want to learn about those, feel free. The person hosting it is phenomenally uh, educated on these TRC calls to actions, and she's just an absolutely amazing person. So she's my wife. So... (laughs) But yeah, come out to the book club. It's very, it, it is a really good book club, and I encourage everybody to go out. They, it's an, it's the only Indigenous book club in Calgary, that and might even be the only one, as far as I know, in Canada. Uh, and last but not least, this is exciting news, Jason. This will be our last show prior to my entrance into the Métis Nation of Alberta Association Annual General Assembly in Lac La Biche. I can't wait. You're making the big trip. 
I am. I'm so excited to see what happens. Yes, and I'm bringing my daughter, so that should be exciting for her, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so if you are there and you see a guy wearing a Jig Is Up t-shirt, that is me. Come and say hello. Uh, I hope to get uh, some info and maybe a few quick conversations with uh, some people there so that we can put on the, sh- the following show. So it should be exciting. I'm interested. I'm very excited to go. Very good. I'm very happy you can make the trip. Sorry, I won't be able to make it with you. But hopefully, uh, you know, you can go to the big table and uh, report back to us on uh, how the sovereign, independent nation governs its own citizens. That's right. And I will be doing probably some live video. Uh, I'm going to try to do live video. Uh, I'll try to post Instagram. Um, so check it all. This, all this stuff is out there on at Métis Podcast on all the social media. It's just Métis Podcast. Uh, so yeah, live video, Instagram. I'll probably be doing some tweets. Uh, I'm going to be recording some audio. Uh, hopefully I don't get kicked out so that I can do all that. Otherwise, it's going to be really boring doing all that from the parking lot. But <laughs> um, it might happen. Well, it might. You never know. Uh, I'm going to take my press pass and see if I can, uh, you know, at least make it through the front doors with that before I get uh, turned around. But we shall see. We shall see. Um. So last but not least, I just want to again say uh, I actually want to apologize to our LGBTQ2 plus community for... Uh, hateful shit that goes around and gets sent in messages. Um, it's not acceptable. And I just want to let you guys know, I'm sorry that that stuff still goes on and that there's people with these archaic attitudes that come from a colonized mind. So to the, That's to, right, but you won't hear that shit from us. No. And I am going to try this year, but I'm not, I can't commit to being in Pride in Calgary here, but I know my wife and daughter probably will. So if you're going to Pride Calgary, you will see them there. They will be marching with the Voices group here, which my wife is actively involved in. So that's going to be, they're going to have a whole lot of fun there. So check that out September long weekend, I believe. Any uh, any last thoughts or, or comments or anything going on up in your neck of the woods there, Jay? No, I hope as summer is uh, slowly winding down through the month of August that people have been or continue to get the chance to get out there and meet their fellow Métis people, get involved in their community, so that when winter comes, we're not all frozen and isolated from each other. That's right. Absolutely. And on that, I just want to say, uh, you know, let's all pray for Jason that he can fight the, the good fight in fighting the wasps in his yard up there. Uh, so <laughs> a little shout-out for that, Jason. Keep that flame <laughs> flame torch going there. Um, Got to get a bigger one. That's right. Uh if you like the show and you want to show some support, head over to Patreon, and for five bucks a month, you can pledge, and you'll be awesome, and we'll appreciate it. So for both Jason and I, until next time, go be a good ancestor. Don't spread hateful shit on the internet. That's it. The jig is up. You are the spark that's starting a fire that will spread across this land. And it will be a fire that doesn't burn, but a fire that cleanses, a fire that ignites in our hearts and creates light. No more living in darkness. Our time.